What's up everyone, welcome to the London Music Podcast, this is Andre Sora and today I talked to Good Dog, also known as Jack Hardman. He's a songwriter, singer, producer. He describes Good Dog as being your forgotten memories on a lonely sea under a warm sun. We talk about his overall approach to music making, his propensity to use real instruments, visual aesthetics and his recent number one single on the iTunes Singer Songwriter chart which is pretty awesome. But without further ado, I give you good dog. First of all, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. No, absolute pleasure. We'll get to the main event because there's a lot to talk about. A lot has happened in Good Dog's world over the past couple of months and I do want to get to that. But before we get to all of the incredible stuff that has been happening, let people know, first of all, who you are, what you do on a daily basis and what led to this moment in time of this project that we are here to talk about. So I'm Good Dog. But my real name is Jack and um, I live here in London and I'm a songwriter and a musician and all of the things that go with that. So I kind of dabble in writing for screen and I write with other people and I also release my own music as an artist, uh, which is which is Good Dog. And I've been doing that since August last year and I've always been writing original music, but the pandemic actually gave me a really unique opportunity to start releasing it because I had so much time you know I had time to uh time to explore my creativity time to really explore the project and what I was trying to say and how I was trying to present it so is the pandemic the only reason why you started putting out music for yourself rather than uh, writing and producing for other people no, not at all. I mean, it's not to say that the pandemic was the only factor for getting it off the ground, but it just was an opportunity, an opportunity to really invest the time in what I'm trying to say as an artist. Because, you know, I've been writing songs since I was 15, which is a long time now, but I was very aware. I didn't want to release something for the sake of it. I think there's, you only have to look at Spotify. There are hundreds of thousands of artists pumping music out and it kind of swirls around and there's so many songs out there in the ether and if I was gonna put myself into that world I wanted to make sure that it was something I was really proud of and really really believed in which is why it's taken to this point to actually make that step and kind of get it out there. Mm. So but what led to this point? How did you how did you get into music in the first place? My family are kind of into music. So my dad and my uncle used to run a record label and a sort of production studio. So I've kind of been brought up on songwriting and record producing. And from there, it was just the normal avenues. You know, I started playing keyboard and started playing guitar. And to start with, I was very much uh, the backup man playing guitar with other singers. And I think anyone that's interested in songwriting inevitably you get fed up of that process being the um being in the shadow i suppose um or i did anyway so i kind of at about 15 or 16 i sort of started writing my own stuff and putting it up on myspace oh those were the good old days they really were yeah before we get to your project what has been the influence when writing with other people is it mainly people coming to you write me a song in this style or is it you you create a bunch of songs and then pitch them to different people 
I mean, I've done I've done a bit of both of those. Pitching is a very difficult game to play. It's kind of in my head. I think of it kind of like a lottery ticket, and the odds are probably about the same. Yeah, the pitching side of things, I don't do too much of. Um, it tends to be more working with artists and just helping them shape their writing. So it's not my role to step into a session and try and impose my will upon them. It's really just to be there for them to bounce ideas off and to offer suggestions if they want it. I mean, sometimes it seems in sessions you're just you're just there as kind of a friend almost, you know, just to give an opinion about what's going on, whether it's the production or the writing. And is it mainly production or writing that, that you do for your collabs? Mainly writing. Definitely writing is kind of what I hang my hat on. It's what I would say I'm best at. Sometimes I produce, but really I'm there as a songwriter. And for your own project, do you do your own production? Yeah, so Good Dog is very much my production. I work with a guy called Adrian Breakspear who mixes Good Dog. But in terms of the arrangements and the writing and the, sorry, and the production, that is all, uh, that's all me. And tell us a bit about the aesthetic of the project because it is uh, somewhat different to what people tend to think when they hear someone is a producer so you're not doing edm stuff how would you describe the uh, the project's aesthetic yeah well this is a this is a good time to mention my girlfriend orla she's really the art director of good dog and this was something we worked on simultaneously as I was creating the music. We were very aware that we wanted to create an entire aesthetic around this. I'm not pitching myself out there as a singer-songwriter, and so we wanted to have a real vibe around everything, from the promo photos, through to the artwork, through to the videos, even through to the tone of voice that I use in my social media. It was very important that everything tied together, not just the sound, but the aesthetic as well. And in terms of achieving that sound, is it mainly uh, real instruments or programmed or a bit of both? I would, that's a good question. I would say it's probably three quarters real instruments. So the process tends to be, I will program everything on Logic with my MIDI keyboard, kind of come up with an arrangement that I'm happy with, and then it just becomes a deconstruction process. So I'm basically replacing every every MIDI part with real instruments. Um, obviously, because of because of the nature of where Good Dog has started, I've never been able to get in a studio with a band. So it's all happened where I've sort of sent MIDI parts out to a saxophone player or to a trumpet player or to a drummer or to, you know, to whoever. Oh, so you're in a way operating like a uh, kind of classical composer. You just make your sheet music and then present it to actual humans to perform it. Yeah, and I think that's that's really, really important to me for Good Dog. So I will kind of pencil out a rough score. Um, sometimes it's an actual score or, or I'll pencil out a rough part. But the, the benefit and the beauty of working with talented musicians is they are, they're full of great ideas. So nothing is ever concrete sort of set in stone it's all up for grabs and if someone says they can do something better or more interesting then i'm i'm down for it and in general how many people would you say are on any given good dog song it depends on the song but i mean so for example my current single there's only only three people maybe i'm playing everything apart from drums and trumpet but on Hopeless Man, which was a couple of singles ago, that has drums and bass and trumpet and saxophone and backing vocals. There's probably eight of us. Mm, so it's a, it is a pretty 
a diverse cast of uh, people involved in. Yeah, and I and that's very much how I try and approach each song. It's I don't have any set rules for how I want the production to go. It's if I know or can think of a musician that will enhance that particular track, then I'll bring them in. It's never I have no desire to kind of be like Paul McCartney and force myself to play every instrument. Sometimes it works with me doing it and sometimes it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then I have no problem with uh, giving it to someone more talented than me. And uh, how does that usually work? Is it people you know or people you hire? It's a mix. I've been doing music for a long time now, so I'm lucky. I know a lot of people that play a lot of instruments. So very often it'll be friends playing on the record. But sometimes sometimes I'll hire session people. The, the song I did at Christmas, A Lost Love Takes a Long Time to Die, that has a string quartet on. I hired them. They were a Russian string quartet. So yeah, it, it really depends. And coming back to this aesthetic, there is a, a sort of almost nostalgic vintage vibe to, to everything, including the video and the overall sound of the music. So what led to that? I think it comes from the music that I've grown up listening to and the songwriters that I have aspired to be like. So I kind of, you know, I cut my teeth on Bob Dylan and, and the Beatles and, and all those guys. But... I'm also a child of of now, which is why I think it's slightly warped. And now I kind of aim to be a great songwriter with slightly twisted twisted tendencies, I suppose. <laughs> when you produce a song, do you have the melody and when you make a song actually, do you have the melody and lyrics first and then think about how to actually orchestrate it or is it the other way around or is it just a mix of whatever feels natural at any point? I think it's a mix and you often hear you often hear songwriters and producers get asked that kind of question and I've always wondered I've always wondered if anyone ever actually does have a concrete rule for that because in my mind it's it's a very organic process. Sometimes you might have a melody that carries you all the way through the song and other times you might have a lyric sheet or actually sometimes you might have a production style that you want to aim for. There's really never one answer to that. It's kind of whatever takes your fancy in that particular moment. Let's talk a bit about the amazing thing that has happened over the uh, the last few months and uh, I've uh, followed this journey on on Facebook and Instagram and tell people what happened with Good Dog and iTunes. Yeah, so I um I had a message from my record label last last month I think or maybe the the month before, but recently I had a message um to say that Hopeless Man, my second single, had entered the singer-songwriter chart at number 90 um, and we didn't know why and it was a, a very strange but nice thing to happen and we basically rode that wave and it ended up getting to number one and you still don't know why we don't know the we don't know the origin of why this happened we kind of, all i can say is that once it had started we really tried hard to build the momentum and to to try and carry it over the line. But where that initial flurry of interest came from, we don't know. So actually this happened, Hopeless Man, I think, came out in October. Um, and it did okay when it first came out. I was very happy. But um, it had a whole second wind, you know, four and a half months after it came out. Okay, so that's, uh, that is that is an interesting way to... <laughs> 
to get a number one single a, a few months after the, the actual release. But how do you approach the actual marketing and release process? So what what did you do initially? And then did this event inform any of the future releases? Yeah, yeah, it did. Of course it did. Um, so I'm with a label called Family Values, which is run by a guy called Sam, Sam and Julian. Um, and they're great. Very, very talented at what they do. So everything's pretty well thought out with Good Dog. You know, we know what singles we're doing. We know the message that we're trying to put across before we do it. We have an idea of the visuals and that helps inform the PR. One thing that I've definitely learned, having tried this for so long, you know, people think that getting a record deal is is the end goal, but that's really only the starting point. I'm working harder now than I ever did before I signed. It's strategic and it's about putting effort into the right places. And if you can tie everything together, your visuals, your music, your marketing, your strategy, it might, it might work. So what's your approach, for instance, uh, to social media when it comes to promoting your music? I almost, to be honest with you, I don't think of it as promoting my music in, in the first instance. I am trying to build relationships with people. It's about my connection with, with the audience. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to sell them my songs. I'm trying to get them invested in Good Dog as a project and, as, and in me as a person. And I think if you can build those kind of connections, people will naturally become interested in the music. The days of simply selling music to the consumer, to the listener, I don't think exist anymore. It does. It's not a transaction in that way. It's much more fluid. And, and that's kind of how I try to approach it. I'm not really thinking about who am I selling to. I'm just trying to chat to people, really. Is any one of them your preferred platform to engage with fans? Uh, Instagram, for sure. Instagram or WhatsApp. So I have a kind of um, a secret group called The Dog House, which has got about 50 odd people. And it's where I will post updates before I do them on social media. It's where I might post demos. It's really just a way to, to build excitement, I suppose. Mm. And when you put out your music, do you put out the video at the same time with the Spotify release or do you somehow uh, make an event of each of these? I mean, we've we've discussed that a lot, the, the timings of things. Sometimes you might look to do the video a bit later to try and make a song and dance of both. But usually we will do them simultaneously because I think, especially for a project like Good Dog, they are so interlinked. Like the the way the song sounds with the way the video looks, like it's it kind of is a package to me anyway. But speaking of packages, up until this point, you've put out singles. So do you intend at any point to comp all of that into an album, or is that just a thing of the past now? No, I don't think it's a thing of the past. Certainly not for me anyway. That's definitely an ambition. But equally, we probably won't comp the first four singles. They will they will exist as standalone singles. But my plan is after after these have kind of run their course, I'm going to do an EP for sure. Uh, do you have any indication of uh, how many songs the EP would, would be? I think four. In my mind, an EP is always four and an album is always 10. I'm kind of very um, old-fashioned in that way. An album lasts 40 minutes, an EP lasts 20 minutes. It's like I'm just kind of, that's where my head's at, I guess. 
How are you on on that front? Do you have those four songs or are they still cooking? No, they're cooked. They're cooked. I've got the four songs done. I'm just kind of working through the process I mentioned earlier. So tracking everything, getting drums tracked, tracking my bass, tracking my guitar, singing, so much singing. As, as, as there always is, there just seems to be a lot. That's the thing. When you do the music by yourself, it's a lot of work and a lot of singing. It's a lot of takes. Uh, do you usually have kind of final say on what take is the the final take or do you also involve uh, your mixing engineer in the process no that's that's all to me so i kind of i probably labor over my comping more than other people would i think that's natural when it's your voice everything that i deliver is kind of signed off by me and uh, do you also have uh, someone else doing the mastering or is it the mixing engineer who does it? No, so for the, the mastering, we use a guy called Ed Woods. He's actually, he's only down the road from me in London, but he's great. Is there any reason why you chose these two for your mixing and mastering? Was it people that you already knew or did you just stumble upon them recently? No, I mean, I've known Adrian since I was 20. So Adrian and I have been working together for, well, 10 years. Um, and it's been really it's been really great for me because during those 10 years, his career has kind of skyrocketed. He produced um, he produced the Gang of Youths album, which was massive. And he won, uh, he won an aria for it. And I have kind of been riding that journey with him on his coattails. What was my, um, my mate in London mixing my... My tracks is now this sort of Grammy-nominated mix engineer doing my songs, so so that's great. And um, and Ed, the mastering engineer, he's kind of um, he's in with the record label, so he's done loads of the records that Sam and Julian have put out, and that's how I got to know him. How did you end up uh, being signed to a label? Was that something you wanted to do from the get-go instead of just doing it completely indie? I suppose I suppose it was kind of something that was always on my agenda, but that's because I mean I started doing the music back in in, in MySpace days and the idea of being like being my own record label that that never even entered my mind. I didn't know how that was possible. So kind of getting a record deal always felt like the objective it's kind of it's kind of funny that it's only now that I have a record deal you realize as I said earlier like it's not that is not your final destination and speaking of which let's assume that in half a year or a year the the pandemic is a thing of the past and people can gig again are you planning on taking good dog on the road Definitely, definitely. And that's one thing I've struggled with, to be honest, not being able to play live and not being able to take the music into that physical world is, is difficult because you start looking at yourself and you wonder what is the, what's the objective with all this? Like, are we just writing songs to put them out and then do the same again? Like you lose that human connection, you know, whether you're playing to 10 people or whether you're playing to 10,000 people. It's a bit like the social media. It's all about connections and building relationships with people. And as soon as I can get in front of people and present these songs in the real world, I will be there for sure. And would it be a sort of uh, guy with a guitar type thing or a proper band? Maybe a guy with a piano. I don't think <laughs> I'll go. I, I don't think I'll go back to being a guy with a guitar. I think, in fact, I've seen it in in and around gigs. There's a certain perception of a man stood with a guitar that doesn't represent 
what I'm about as an artist. I mean, the songs are not guitar based, so it would almost be a bit of a lazy option for me to pick up my guitar and just thrash them out. It's, I haven't written the songs on the guitar, so it wouldn't make sense. So what's next? Do you have anything lined up for the immediate future? Yeah, I'm kind of, I've been debating that very question today. I'm quite interested in doing a cover. That's something that intrigues me. This is wearing more of a, a producer's hat. I'd like to imagine what Good Dog would do with some unsuspecting songs. I won't tell you what those are, but <laughs> but imagine something unusual. Yeah, that intrigues me, but I'm also working on this EP and I've got a lot to do. So there's plenty going on for sure. So, Jack, what I tend to do at the end of these is have a quick fire round with three questions. I'm gonna just shoot the questions and whatever comes to mind is the answer you should give. So no thinking about your answer. Question number one, uh, name the one musical thing you're amazing at. Patience. <laughs> That's a good one. No one gave that as their answer to this one. It's a new one. And name the one musical thing you're rubbish at. Writing cool lyrics. <laughs> so how do you define cool in this context? I've just learned that when you're doing co-writing sessions with younger songwriters, you need to let them take the lead because the lingo that I'm using and the records I'm listening to are not necessarily the right vibe. And the last question, would you rather win a Grammy or sell out Wembley Stadium? I'd rather sell out Wembley Stadium. I think up until this point, it's kind of half-half. I'm actually surprised how many people go for the Grammy because I'd imagine being in front of 100,000 people at Wembley is something that is unique as an experience. Winning an award, I, I think people have been exposed to winning awards at some point in their lives, even if it was for, I don't know, something like what they did in fourth grade. But singing in front of 100,000 people seems way too much of a unique experience to go for the other option to me. Yeah, and also I think you have to... I'm not saying I don't want to win a Grammy. My goodness, I'd love to win a Grammy. <laughs> but so I hope that doesn't burn any bridges for the future. But you have to look at where both of those things are coming from, I think. And when artists like The Weeknd are kind of getting omitted, despite the number of records that he's selling and the, the amount of credibility that he has, you have to wonder just what's going on there. Whereas Wembley Stadium, as you mentioned, if 100,000 people have bought tickets to come and see you, that's the ultimate connection. Like, I don't see how you can get better than that. Where can people find you? Website, Instagram, what's your preferred way of getting uh, in touch with people or them getting in touch with you? Well, this is the clever thing, going back to the strategy. So everything is good dog songs, whether it's www.gooddogsongs.com or Instagram or Twitter. It's all good dog songs. So it's uh, mainly Instagram and Twitter in terms of like social media that they use. Yeah, but if people want to join me on Facebook or TikTok, you know, I'm there. I'm, I'm around for a chat, so whatever people want. <laughs> Fantastic. Jack, thanks a lot for coming. I really enjoyed the discussion and good luck with uh, your EP and your bizarre cover to come. Yeah, keep your ears open. It's on its way. Thank you very much.